Welcome to Junior L's and Now What, Episode 3. The topic that I've selected for this week has really been an interesting journey, so I'm rather excited to share it. However, it might be a little convoluted, so I really hope I convey this in a way that makes sense. So bear with me as I go along, because it may not make sense at all, potentially, or at the very least, not till the very end. So let's start with last week, we discussed how the sun may or may not be the exact center of our solar system and how it's kind of a um, maybe egotistical because, you know, hey, I'm huge, I'm massive and I'm awesome and therefore everything should orbit around me. Well, the reality is, regardless of whether it's the exact center of our solar system or not, the sun does some truly amazing and imperative, for those of you who remember the four eyes, things for us. The thing I want to focus on right now is the heat and light that it produces, specifically the light that it produces and what it does for our little blue planet in this solar system. Those of you who are somewhat into history may know of an event that took place back in or around 1816. It was known as the year without a summer. It has lots of other names that it's known by, but it was kind of a nasty year for Earth. Uh, it affected crops. It affected cultures. It had a pretty substantial death toll behind it. And what it was, was, as far as historians can tell, was caused by a volcanic eruption in 1815 in Indonesia. I believe the mountain or volcano was Mount Tambora. Needless to say... This volcano, which I guess was like the biggest one that has happened or erupted since like 150 AD, was bad enough that it created what is called a volcanic winter, which in this situation basically means the entire planet was more or less covered in some kind of haze or ash. The entire temperature of the Earth went down a degree or so Celsius. A lot of crops failed. Uh, it was pretty bad. There was riots and revolts that took place behind it. All right, so this is illustration number one. Illustration number two is a story that the vast majority, if not all of you, have heard, and it's the idea of this or the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm just going to give you a quick recap. And that's this dude who'd been, you know, beaten and robbed, etc., left for dead. A handful of people wandered by, ignored him, and eventually there's a Samaritan, who we now refer to as the Good Samaritan, who walked by, tended to this guy, took him to an inn, helped him to get taken care of, etc. So these characters are going to be important to us in our story. So for the guy who got beaten up, we're going to call him Bob, to keep things simple. All right, so now it's time for a riddle. And the riddle is this. What is something that can be given and or received, but not taken, and is desirable. I have mulled over this riddle for this entire week. I have bounced it off of many other people. And I'll be honest, I have not been able to find an answer to this exactly in the world around us, outside of the realm of human interaction. So the topic for this week, for this podcast, is gratitude. 
As far as I can tell, it is one of the few things that satisfies that riddle. The only other one that I can think of is love itself. We'll leave that for another another podcast. But gratitude. When you look up the actual raw definition of gratitude, it basically means to give thanks or be prepared to give thanks. I decided to look up thanks or being thankful. One of the definitions of thankful is being relieved. Okay, so it's an interesting idea, this idea that gratitude could lead to being relieved. So we're going to dive into what I believe with no evidence and really nothing to support it, what this means or could mean for how gratitude should or could be used. One of the things that I want to point out, and I think everyone could probably more or less agree with this, is that gratitude is a symbiotic relationship between the giver and receiver. So in the sense, or in the situation of Bob, who is the injured guy from the Good Samaritan, and the Samaritan, the Samaritan has sacrificed or performed some form of service. And Bob, very likely, was grateful. So Bob gives thanks, and the Samaritan receives the gratitude. Okay, so this is the symbiotic relationship. So there's two sides to this. And I'm going to suggest a couple of things, and then we'll dig a little deeper. The suggestions are this. When you are on Bob's side of the fence, you've been the recipient of something, a sacrifice. And these sacrifices could be, like, minute, down to, hey, someone opened the door for me. If you think about it, that's still a sacrifice, because they're spending time to do it, energy, even if it's very small. So, on the Bob side giving gratitude. Give it. Give it often. Give it deeply. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit. And recognize that gratitude, interestingly enough, even though it's a social, we think of it or could think of it as a social construct, it's certainly a behavior that society perpetuates. With our kids, we say, hey, after you've done something, what do you say? Oh, thank you. Uh, You know, they're trying to give thanks or gratitude for something. But it's something deeper, something more potent than just social graces. I have a personal story about gratitude. And it goes back to the days of my wife and I, probably been married around five years. And uh, we had moved into a house and we had lived there for less than a year and made some, shall we say, not the wisest financial decisions. Now, having said that, between my wife and I, my wife is definitely the financial genius. I am the spender. And it's I'm, I'm just not the greatest with finances. Granted, the lesson that I learned here has taught me a great deal, and I'm significantly better than I was. But to the point... We were struggling financially, and we were late. We, you know, missed a couple of payments on various things without getting into all the gory details. It was a bad place to be. And there are very few things in life that really cause me intense stress. Now, granted, I've mentioned before, I have anxiety and depression and other various things, but just straight up blatant, in-your-face stress. Finances is one of them. And uh, for weeks on end, we were struggling. We were freaking out. Uh, It was putting us in a pretty nasty place. 
And uh, for those of you who are religious and pray a lot or don't pray at all, uh, I do something that may seem odd. Uh, for those of you who drive down the road and see the guy in the car next to you just singing away at some song, that's me. I'm the dude who's singing and jamming to music, and I don't care who's watching me. Well, one of the things that I have found is that the car is one of those really cool places that you can do things you can't normally do because there's just no time. I'm in a car by myself, which is like the best time for me to pray because I feel like I can get everything out in the open and no one's around to judge, listen, or care other than myself and maybe somebody watching from another car who thinks I'm just talking to myself. And I remember for days on end going, why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? What should I be doing better? Blah, blah, blah. Very woe is me. And I remember driving home from work one day in probably the worst state of mind I had been in in a very, very long time. And I stopped and decided that I would have a moment where I would ask for nothing. I would uh, complain about nothing and just open my heart and say, thanks. Thanks for the world. Thanks for anything I could think of thankful for at the moment. And even though it didn't change my circumstances, nothing around me really altered. My perception did. It changed my attitude. And that made a huge impact on our approach to things. It made me feel better. And it's fascinating how that happens. So um, it's definitely important, uh, regardless of what I'm going to be leading to here in a little bit. Um, earlier, I'd also mentioned that I want to reference things back to entertainment. For those of you who are into anime or manga or video games and know anything about Pokemon, one of the things you'll note is that whenever a trainer loses a battle or wins one, they return their Pokemon to their little Pokeball and say, thank you, Charizard, or thank you, Bulbasaur, or whatever the Pokemon's name is. Job well done. Uh, it's one of the ways you can tell the difference between a good trainer and a bad one is whether they express gratitude. So even in the world of cartoons and anime, they recognize the importance of this. All right, so let's flip to the other side. Let's look at the, uh, the Samaritan side of this equation. Now, what is the Samaritan to do? Gratitude comes from the receiver of service. So what's, what's the symbiotic relationship here? The Samaritan's side of this boils down to the expectations. If the Samaritan or a person sacrifices something for somebody else, if they do it 100% understanding that they are going to get nothing in return, fully expecting nothing in return, it's truly a sacrifice at that, at that point. If, on the other hand, there is some kind of expectation, I'm going to hold the store open and after the person walks through, they're going to give me a look and a smile and say thank you. Or, hey, uh, during the conversation I had with my friend yesterday, uh, he had mentioned that sometimes you get that call from a friend saying, hey, I need to move. Can you come? And by the way, can I borrow your truck? And you get there and you're working hours on end. And at some point during that move, you think, gosh, I hope they bring donuts or gosh, I would love a Mountain Dew, which, by the way, I love Mountain Dew. It's, it's wonderful. Caffeinated antifreeze. It's a beautiful thing. Anyway, and that expectation can taint things. We should not expect it. Have you ever done something for somebody, taken someone out to eat, 
And when you get home, you go, gosh, I can't believe it. They didn't thank me for that at all. How ungrateful of them are they? So I'm going to reference this back to a story. Uh, I am one of the least romantic people on the planet, or at least I feel that way. Um, to illustrate that, I'm going to share a very short, terrible joke. Uh, there's a nerd, so I'll put myself in the shoes, who's wandering through the woods. And they're, uh, you know, the mountains are one of those places I get inspiration for when I need to come up with some ideas of anything. And so I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So this nerd's walking around the woods, and uh, they come across a frog. And this frog jumps up to them, and it speaks in this perfect female voice and says, I am a beautiful princess. If you kiss me, I will return to my beautiful princess state, and I will be your girlfriend, and I will marry you, and I will make you the happiest person in the world. This nerd looks down to the frog and smiles, picks up the frog, puts it in his pocket, and starts to walk back to town. A few minutes later, the frog goes, um, seriously, um, I, I promised you happiness. Seriously, beautiful, gorgeous woman here. What are you doing? And the nerd's like, you know, I, I don't really quite understand social graces all that well. You know, I'm putting this in my own perspective. And um, yeah, having a girlfriend would be great and all, but I'll tell you what, a talking frog, that's going to make me a lot of money. And I get that. So, uh, you know, to bring that back to myself, when my wife and I had been married for about a month, something occurred to me that day of us having been married one month, our one month anniversary, that maybe I should get my wife something. And so I ran to the local Target trying to figure out what to get her, and I settled on episode one of Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Hadn't been out that long. Um, my wife loves me. Pretty sure she does, uh, because she's put up with me for many years now, and my deep nerddom. Um, Star Wars to her is entertainment, and that's about it. To me, Star Wars is one of the many things that brings ultimate joy to life, because, you know, it's sci-fi, and I love sci-fi. So I gave her this gift, and I'm sure that she had that moment, that smile, where she was like, thanks for trying, even though you horribly failed, you unromantic fool. Yes, that's me, the unromantic fool. So this goes to the volcano that we talked about earlier. Um, I had given my wife something that she didn't ask for and probably didn't want, or at least didn't care enough about to really have made giving it to her worthwhile. Back to the volcano and what effect it had on the earth versus the sun and its effect on the earth. Performing an act of service is the same way. When you put up this, this Samaritan concept and you perform an act of service, you've, you've sacrificed. The moment you have the expectation that a person should give you gratitude, it's like that volcano where it's erupted and it's blocking the light. You can't see clearly anymore, nor are you allowing yourself to receive the gratitude, open or otherwise. Remember, gratitude can't be forced. It can only be given. And so the effects are going to be significantly less to the point where it could actually be detrimental to have that perception. Performing the sacrifice may or may not have been worth it in the first place. Don't get me wrong. We should always serve. The point here is that the effects are sometimes negated, if not entirely. On the other hand, if we walk into a situation where we have absolutely no preconceived notions whatsoever of receiving anything, it's like the sky is clear and open. We have that open light coming to us. 
And so when that gratitude is given, those doors have been opened and we're fully capable of receiving it, especially given the fact that we weren't expecting it. It's kind of like the idea of going to see a movie where you went in with extremely low expectations and came out happy because it was fun and you were able to smile and laugh. All right, so now I'm about to take things to a level that is pure me. So this is Junior L being Junior L, Junior Lism, and you are welcome to just disregard this entirely, but embrace it because it could be a cool concept. And here's where I'm going with this. One of the definitions of thanks is the definition of uh, relief. So uh, as I understand it, in the laws of physics, there is something that says that you cannot create something out of nothing. Okay, so I'm going to tie this back to gratitude. If you are giving gratitude, can you give nothing? Well, no, you're giving something. You're giving gratitude. Well, you're not giving something out of nothing. So that means there's got to be something we're giving when we give gratitude. Something deeper, whether you want to call it emotion, whether you want to call it soul, whether you want to call it spirit, whatever term you want to use, you're giving something, or at least I believe you are. On the same token, let's also use a concept of the laws of physics that says that no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. This goes back to the idea of burden. Each and every one of us has a burden that we are carrying, whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's the world around us, whether we just like to complain. Whatever it is, we all have our own burden, and that burden is ours alone. Imagine that you're a person who's holding a log, a very large log over their head for, you know, whatever reason, I guess you're just a log holder and it's very heavy and it's very difficult and somebody wants to help you. They can't help you by taking the log in the exact same place that you're holding it because that would defy the laws of physics. They would have to help by holding it in a different location. Well, I'm about to offer a suggestion or a thought here. What if that strength that we use to hold up that burden we call willpower. And what if the act of giving gratitude is actually giving a small portion of our, or in this situation, the Samaritan situation, Bob's willpower to the Samaritan? You are passing willpower off to someone else to help them find relief to give them strength, bolstering their own strength, as opposed to trying to lift it yourself. And like a muscle, when you give this gratitude or this willpower, when you use a muscle, it breaks down and rebuilds itself into something that's greater, more different, but typically more. Uh, I believe the willpower when you give gratitude, replaces itself with something that's more. Hence the aforementioned earlier comment that when you're in Bob's situation and somebody has sacrificed for you, you should give gratitude and give it often because like a muscle, you're exercising it and you're increasing your own willpower. And on the same token, whether you understand it or not, you're benefiting someone else's life. Now, all of that was Junior L. It's a concept that I believe still supports the quote that I've given from the beginning. What if the only way to achieve your maximum potential, or let's change it, what if the only way to achieve your maximum joy or strength 
is to help everyone else achieve theirs. All right, so, and now what? At this point, it boils down to give gratitude, give thanks often. Because regardless of whether I am right or wrong, I am right in saying it will bring you greater joy and peace, and it will actually bring others greater joy and peace as well, because everyone likes to hear thank you. In addition, if you're going to sacrifice for someone else, if you're going to perform an act of service, don't expect anything in return. Because, like the volcano, your life is going to be better if you don't expect it. You're more prone to perform more acts of service because you're never looking for receiving something back. Be happy, laugh, smile, be grateful for the world around us and that giant yellow ball in the sky that provides us light. And remember that Chuck Norris was born in a log cabin that he built with his own two hands. <laughs>